blue and white and we're looking good You'll be in for a fight and we fight pretty good Getting goals is our job and we get goals good Looking good, we are Carlisle United Carlisle United, the team that's on the ball Hello everyone and welcome to the final of our series of special interview episodes of the Brunson Bugle. Uh, a few of you have been bugging me for this one and rightly pulling up the previous promises release dates that didn't quite materialise. Apologies for that, sometimes real life gets in the way and we do this podcast for the love of it, remember that. So important thing is, it's finally here. So in case you haven't been following... Back in early October last year, I went down to Brunton Park for the day to speak to some members of the playing and non-playing staff at the club. Since then, we've published interview episodes with Thomas Holy, Owen Moxon and Christian Dennis, which you can find in our episode feed if you want to go back and listen to them. This is the final interview we had left to give you, and uh, we have to leave the best to the last, didn't we? A man with a long association with the club right back to when he first travelled down the M74, in the mid-1980s, up until the present day, where he recently retired from his role as the head of the club's Community Sports Trust and will now fulfil an ambassador role on match days at Brunton Park. It is, of course, the one and only John Halpin. It was really enjoyable to sit down with Halpy for a good 20-minute chat uh, about his time at the club, and we covered plenty of that short space of time, from that goal against Blackburn that uh, older fans uh, always talk about, uh, to being joint manager under Michael Knighton, to uh, being persuaded to return to the club by Paul Simpson after a short spell away in 2004. A big thank you once again to Andy Hall and Amy Nixon from the club's media team for their help in arranging these interviews. We're hoping to sort some more in the future as well, so keep an eye out for them. So, before we get away, here's a brief bio on the man himself. John Halpin was born in Bangor, near Livingston, in Scotland, in 1961. He began his career at Armdale Thistle before earning a move to Celtic. After three years and a handful of appearances for the boys, he was brought down to Brunswick Park by Bob Stokoe when United were a second-tier side in 1984. He quickly established himself as a big fan's favourite with his jinking runs down the left, and but for a series of horrendous leg injuries that he picked up, uh, he may well have earned a big move to a top flight club. In 1991, he moved to Rochdale for a short spell before returning to Cumbria to play with Gretna while taking on the role as head of United's football in the community setup. He played a huge role in getting the club out and into the community during the boom period under Michael Knighton. But when the Blues owner opted to sack Mervyn Day at the start of the 97-98 season, Halpy was thrust into the spotlight alongside David Wilkes as joint first team manager. While both men battled defiantly to keep the Blues head above water in this period, they would eventually revert back to the assistant role when Nigel Pearson came in as manager in the late 1998, which of course eventually led to the Jimmy Glass game. He left the club that summer for a job working in Royal Mail, but five years later, Paul Simpson and Fred Story persuaded him to return to his old role in the community setup, and he stayed there for 18 years in various different guises until his retirement last month. So here's the chat I had with Halpy late last year. Okay, Halpy, so we're here today to talk about your long and, I think it's fair to say, storied career with Carlisle United. I mean, on and off for the best part of nearly 40 years, I think, isn't it? I mean... Could you have imagined when you what, first arrived, was it 1984, I think you first arrived here from Celtic, that, you know, 38 years later, you'd be coming to the end of your, your career, but having spent so much time here? 
No, well, originally I was coming for two years. I came in September 84, and uh, the plan was to come for two years and then hopefully, well, I'm saying hopefully move on. Hopefully somebody would come and have a look and move on. Unfortunately, it never happened, but it's worked out perfectly for me in the end, really. Yeah, you've got such a long association with the club and it's a club that clearly means quite a lot to you now, doesn't it? Well, it's everything, really. It's been my whole adult life. I mean, if I was 23 now that I'm going to retire, when I'll be 61 when I retire... It's a long time I've been associated with the club. So, yeah, it's everything. I mean, it's the first first result I look for on a Saturday. So, Let's go back to uh, the start of your career. You started out at Celtic, didn't you, um, in, in your hometown of Glasgow. Um, what was it like being at the club then? I, mean, I can't remember. Was that a time when they were struggling a little bit more? Or was it... Hey, no, they were time? okay, actually. They had good players there. Charlie Nicholas was there, oh, Danny yeah. McGrain, Roy Aitken, lads like that. So they had good players. Paddy Bonner was playing. He'd just broke into the team at the time as well. So they are decent players. And obviously it was a big club. Huge fan base. Um, so it was a bit, well, it was completely different coming to Carlisle when I found it was really family orientated, dead friendly. Um, all the punters were dead friendly with you. You know, there was there was nothing to worry about when you came here. It was dead relaxed. And, and that's what attracted to me, actually, to the club. The first thing I noticed when Bob Stokoe asked me to come down was how friendly everybody was at the club. I mean, that's quite a difference, isn't it, to go from... Parkhead, you know, this legendary Scottish ground and playing, you know, games against Rangers and potentially playing at Hamden to come to Brunton Park. It, it, for some people, that might be a bit of a, um, almost a culture shock, I suppose you'd say. But for you, it sounds like it's something that you were, were quite happy with. It was a bit of a culture shock because, the, I mean, obviously, the, the way Celtic and Rangers is up there, it dominates everything in Glasgow. And when I came here, there just wasn't any of that at all down here. It was dead relaxed. Everybody was dead friendly. And uh, I took to it straight away, and people took to me straight away. So it was it was easy to fit in here, no problems at all. Yeah. Um, so, so when you, you come down at a time that younger Carlisle fans might not realise, Carlisle were in what is now the Championship in the First Division, and and got very close actually to getting up to the, the top flight again, didn't they? Yeah, a couple of years before I came, within they were in within ten games of getting to what is now the Premier League. So they were very, very close. And considering, you know, the budget they had and the playing staff they had, I mean, that was a phenomenal effort, really. What, what was Bob Stoker like to, to work under? I mean, clearly a very hard taskmaster, but um, someone who really got this club. I mean, he was there three times as manager, wasn't he? Yeah, for me, uh, without doubt, best manager I worked under. Very tough, but very fair. And he probably realised that um, before I did that, I had something to offer at the club. And uh, he was hard taskmaster, and he, he made it difficult for me. Not not in a nasty way. He made it difficult for me because standards were set, and he wouldn't let you go below the standards, which in the end was a big plus for me, really. Yeah. Um. So, so the, your time of us as a, as a player, you did your first sort of spell. Really impressive. Weren't you? The fans, you were a big fan's favourite. I mean, there's one goal in particular the fans talk about, isn't there, that you, that you scored? Um, was that against, I can't remember, was it Blackburn? Uh, Blackburn, Blackburn Rovers, Rovers yeah. yeah. What's your memories of that goal? Yeah, I remember, I, I mean, I've never seen the goal, actually. There's no footage of the goal. Or That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. I've never seen any footage of the goal, but I remember getting it just, just over the halfway line in the Blackburn half, and I just took off, really, and... I, you know, you never think that that's going to happen. And I just kept going and going and things seemed to open up. And you don't really think about it at the time you've scored, you get back to the halfway and you're on with your job. It wasn't until further down the line when people kept mentioning all the time, you realised that, you know, it was a bit of a special goal, really. Yeah. Um, obviously, you did really well in that first spell and bigger clubs were sniffing. There was rumours of Liverpool possibly coming to scout you in games. And then 
that broken leg, that's something that I suppose it is it a rueful moment you look back on in your career. Um, I, I don't tend to look back at that and, and think about it with you know any anger or anything like that. It is what it is. You know, you play football. That's the pitfalls of playing football, and we just moved on from that. Really, I didn't. I didn't think any ill will against any players or anything like that. That's just the way it is. You've just got to accept it and get on with it. Yeah, I'm saying. You think now when all, all the stuff that players have in terms of rehab, you've seen players today doing their rehab on ACLs at this club especially. Um, what was it like back then, though, as a player having to, to come back from something like that? Well, I think rehab then was a, in a completely different place for it as now. I mean, rehab, rightly so now, is fantastic for players. And rightly so it should be. I mean, it's their careers you're talking about here. Back then, it was a little bit slipshod. It was a little bit unprofessional. Uh, a lot of the time you were left on your own to do your own thing. Not through anybody's fault, it was just the way it was at that time. You know, nobody knew anything about physios being with you 24 hours a day. You just didn't have that at that time. So, you know, everybody just accepted it and got on with it. Yeah. Was it tough though? I mean, obviously when you first came in, they were in the, what is the second tier of the championship now and, and doing fairly well, but then there was a kind of, I don't say gradual, but actually wasn't that gradual, a decline back down to the fourth tier. How tough was that to go through at this club? Yeah, it was horrible, actually, because the club didn't deserve that. We were better than where we should have been at, at, in the Football League. I always thought we were a League Two club at that time. Um, we, we'd half-decent facilities, you know, with good players here, and players were allowed to go. And it's a shame, it's just the way it is. You know, if people came in for a player, players, uh, clubs came in for a player, they were allowed to go because it was a financial thing with the club, and everybody got that. Nobody disagreed with that. That's just the way the club survived. Um, it was just a shame that we went through the division because we were a far better club than where we were in the league. I mean, looking looking back at that time, who were some of the players that you remember that were particularly you know, big players? I think some of the older fans might obviously remember the likes of your, your Mali Poskett and I think Alan Shoulder. I'm not sure if they were there at your time, possibly those both of those two. Yeah, when I came at first, uh, Mali Poskett, I remember playing here. I went to actually went to on loan to Sunderland for a month, and my first game here was a Friday night pre-season friendly against Kalai United. And Mali was playing that night and he was the one that caught my eye. I thought he was an excellent centre-forward. And you had Alan Shoulder, you had Donna Reardon, you had Jack Ashurst, you had Paul Haig, um, you had Mick McCartney, who was an excellent left-back, you had Dave McKellar. So we had some real good players at the club at that time. Yeah, and it just obviously didn't quite work. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, when, when they were all there, um, you know, excellent. We had a really good side, but obviously one or two went. Donna went to... Um, Middlesbrough, Jack went to Leeds United and, you know, Dave McKellar moved on and it was a shame because we had some really good players at the time. Yeah, it was also, it's a story that repeats quite often with Kyle yeah, and, 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 and I kind of get it, you know, it's a, it's a club where, you know, if, if they're offered a the sum of money, they have to take it because that's the way it is, that's the way the club survives. So everybody just accepted that. So obviously, you, you stayed at the club for quite a bit, but then you had spells, I think, at Rochdale and possibly with Gretna as well. You had a spell at was- Yeah, I had a season at Rochdale uh, and then I finished at Rochdale and then I had 18 months at Gretna. Yeah. Um, but when I was at Gretna, I had that job. I had this job yeah. when I was playing at Gretna. So I was trying to mix between the two and it was very difficult, actually. So I decided to give Gretna up and, and focus my whole attention on this job. Well, this, this job, obviously, now you're in, it's obviously got a different role title now, but obviously back in the day, I remember coming to your football and the community soccer skills back in 94, 95, when yeah. I was a bit younger. Um, what was it that attracted you to take on this role? I mean, it, it, did it just come up and you just thought, I, I really fancy that? Yeah, I, I actually, I, I mean, I've told the story a few times. It was actually by luck. I met Dave Wilkes in the town and Dave said that the lad that had the job at, at the 
that present time, John Dutton was leaving and the job was up for grabs and I was interested. So I came and spoke to Aidan McCaffrey, who was manager at the time, and I got the job. And I didn't have any kind of preconceived ideas of what the job was. I was just interested in keeping involved in football and, and trying to do something for the community. And it's a, like you say, it's a completely different job now from what it was when I took it on at first. Yeah. Um, so when you first took it on, back then, the club off the field particularly was in a bit of a mess, wasn't it? It was struggling a little bit. And then in comes Mr. Knighton, yeah. we'll probably talk about a little bit more in a sec. But the way things change for the club, not quite overnight, but in the, in the next couple of years, were incredible, weren't they? And it must have actually been so enjoyable in your role to go out in the community do these soccer schools thing? I see kids come along in Carl United shirts, these soccer schools. That must have been a real buzz. I think that's one of the big things, Lee, is uh, you've seen a whole change in attitude towards the club when Michael came in. I mean, Aidan, he, he did a good job under very, very difficult circumstances. It was a very difficult time for the club. And he was having to scratch a player here and scratch a player there just to get a team on the pitch on a Saturday. So it was very difficult. And then Michael came in with these big ideas. And, and for a spell, the club was... It was a fantastic place to be. I mean, we were on top of the world, really. We went to Wembley for the first time. We got promotion. McWadsworth came in. You know, Mervyn Day came in. And it really was a great place to work at that time. Well, let's sort of fast forward then to 1997. Start of the season. Mervyn's not had the greatest start and, and he's given the sack. And then Michael asks you and David to take over first team duties with... I mean. This story gets very confusing because he's claimed to be manager before and then other people say, well, no, he wasn't really. I mean, the impression I get is that you and David were very much in charge of the first team selection, that kind of thing. What actually happened then? It was crazy time, wasn't it? Well, it was It was just as simple as I got a phone call on the Thursday morning and Mervyn had been sacked and obviously somebody had to take the team to go to Wickham. We were playing Wickham on the Saturday at Wickham and uh Michael asked Dave and I if we'd take the team on the Saturday. Now, I was led to believe at that time that it was only for one game because there was already another manager lined up to come in. Mm-hmm. So we go to Wickham, we stay over on the Friday night and we, we train with the lads on the Friday and the lads are great, the lads are just getting on with it. Some are really disappointed that Mervyn's gone, as we were, to be honest yeah. with you, because Mervyn was a great lad. And uh, we go to Wickham on Saturday, lo and behold, we beat Wickham 4-1 and it could have been 6 or 7. The lads were yeah. fantastic. Matt Janssen was on fire that day and uh, it really could have been 6 or 7. And then Michael decided that we're going to Tottenham on the Tuesday night, that we would take the team to Tottenham and we got beat 3-2, I think yeah, it was, yeah. on the night. We come back here, play Gillingham on the Saturday, we drew 1-1 and then Tottenham beat us 1-0, I think. Uh, yeah, David Janot scored with yeah. a penalty, I think, on yeah. the Tuesday night. And it just kind of snowballed from there and it kept going. And we kept waiting for Michael to come in and say, right, lads, we've brought in whoever it may be, manager. And it never happened. Yeah. It just never happened. So the, the worrying thing for me was when we got to the season, which you probably want to speak about the Jimmy Glass season, um, my biggest concern was that I, I was always going to be associated with the, the club that was taken into the, the, out of the Football League into the conference. And that was my biggest worry more than anything else, that I didn't want to be associated with that. No, definitely. We're talking a bit more about that 97-98 season. A lot of people do say that actually some of the football we played that season was was fantastic, some of the best they've actually seen from a Colonnade I mean, I suppose it, your life's made a bit easy when you've got the likes of Rory Delap and Matt Janssen. I mean, two fantastic talents 
coming through into the team at that point. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people forget as well. Um, we brought in Ronnie Walwalk yeah, from remember, Manchester yeah. United, and we brought and Nick Henry from Derby. Those lads were on fire, and I, I'm convinced if we'd have kept that squad together with Rory, Yanni, um, Warren Aspinall, yeah. players like that, we, we would have stayed up. There's no doubt about it. We would have stayed up because we were picking points up everywhere. We were beating teams easy on at Brunton Park. Um, but Michael decided that he was going to sell players on. He sold Rory, he sold Yanni. You know, he let Lee Peacock go, he let Tony Cake go, and well, the bottom just fell out. It then you can't get rid of those players and survive. You just can't do it. Which was a real disappointment because at that time we were really, we were really playing well. We had some great results. Yeah. I mean, Matt was one of those wanting a generation talents, wasn't he? Did you realise as soon as you saw him that? this lad's going to be special. Well, I'd known Matt for a long time and Matt's father for a long time and I knew, you know, what he was all about. Um, But he was a very special player. He was a top, top class player and it was just really unfortunate for himself that, you know, he had that bad accident that curtailed his career because he was a top player and I think he would have been an international player as well. Yeah, I don't think anyone doubts that. Going into the next season, you mentioned obviously we went back down to the third division. Started the season okay, but then finding a little bit of struggle for form and then Michael decides to bring in Nigel Pearson to, to work with you and uh, help you. What, what, what happened there? Did he, did he explain that one to you? Well, I think we went to Durham at the start of the season for pre-season training and we're doing okay. Um, but then results started turning a little bit and I think Michael was feeling the heat, obviously, for the directors and the fans, such like. And uh, he made a change. I thought it was the right thing to do, actually. He brought in Nigel Pearson. It was his first job. Nigel was great. Um, he was excellent with the lads and really it was a miracle we stayed up a miracle we stayed up with the players we had but uh, yeah fair credit to Nigel for what he did let's talk about that game then we can't avoid talking about the Jimmy Glass game I mean that's got to go down as one of the most incredible moments in in your career to be there on that day I mean what are you guys thinking when we're going into injury time we know what the score is at Scarborough we know it's 1-1 there we know that we just need a goal now to stay up and you get that final corner, you look there and you think, sending Jimmy, but you just think, oh, we might as well, aren't you? Yeah, sure. I th- it was the most bizarre day because I remember the Saturday in the change rooms before the game, the lads were getting ready and everybody was so calm, so calm before the game. And then we go a goal down and uh, we're thinking, we're going to struggle here because I remember Steve McCall played for Plymouth yeah. that day and he was absolutely, he, ran the game, he was he? fantastic. <laughs> and, there was nobody more delighted than me than when I seen his number coming up and brought himself <laughs> off. Yeah. And I'm always convinced he brought himself off yeah. to give us a chance because yeah. we couldn't get near him. Yeah. He was fantastic that day. Anyway, Dave Brightwell scores and uh, it was a brilliant goal, Dave yeah. Brightwell scored and nobody ever yeah. mentions it. It was a f- brilliant finish. Anyway, we get to the, the corner for the Jimmy Glass goal and uh, I remember Nigel waving Jimmy Glass up and I was standing behind Nigel and I stupidly I started thinking, what happens if they break away? They'll score. If they break away and get a, get a goal, we'll never get it back. Didn't make any difference because no. I found out after the game the referee had told Dave Brightwell, this is your last chance. Yeah. If, when the ball goes dead, that's it, the game's finished. Yeah. However, the rest is history. And Jimmy, I mean, Scott Dobie had a fantastic header and the goalkeeper yeah. saved it and glasses in. I mean, it's an argument the keeper should have done better with the save from his head, isn't it? Yeah, actually, yeah. And he panned it down to Glassy. Jimmy Glass is in like Jimmy Greaves, whacks it into the <laughs> yeah. net and then chaos. Yeah. Total bedlam after that. I mean, it just the feeling you must have felt when I hit the back of the Relief, I suppose, is the main oh, thing. I, th- I, think you're right. I think it was more relief yeah. 
Lee than anything else that we'd you know we'd kept the club in the league because the club didn't deserve to be in the out of the football league. This is a football league club. They didn't deserve that. However, you are where you are, and you get what you deserve, really. And if we'd have been out of the league, it would have been because probably we deserved it. But um, lo and behold, Glassy saved us all, yeah. yeah. So come the summer, obviously, um, Nigel uh, doesn't have his contract extended. Now, I can't remember, did, did you actually leave at that point in the summer as well? Yeah, Dave and I went at the same time. He decided, Michael decided they wanted to go in a different direction, which is fair enough. And so Nigel, Dave and myself were sacked. Uh, on the, I think it was the Wednesday after the Jimmy Glass game. Yeah, so it's must have been quite frustrating that obviously you mentioned to, to keep the team in the league, and then obviously I know chairman are going to make decisions like that occasionally. Yeah, but then and they are. Like, but but there was, what disappointed me most is there was there was promises made, yeah. and uh, those promises were never fulfilled. Yeah. That was disappointed me. However, it is what it is, yeah. and you've got to move on. And uh, you know the club, you know, went through a bit of turbulent time, but we got back again. Well, we had this, this few years away from the club, obviously. I think you were working for, I think for Royal Mail in the town as well. Yeah. And then Simo comes back in as manager, and he said this quite publicly, hasn't he? That one of the first things he wanted was, I want one of people like you back and involved with the club, and you came back. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know anything about it. And and Paul phoned me and he said, Listen, the community manager's jobs or the community officer's job as it was then is coming up for grabs. Are you interested? And to be honest with you, I wasn't that keen at first. I wasn't that keen. But I sat down with Paul and I sat down with Fred and we had a chat. And uh, as soon as I started speaking to them, I knew the club was going places. I knew we were going to do something. So I said to my, I spoke to my wife and we decided, yeah, we'll have a go. And uh, best decision I made, really. Well, so 18, 19 years later, you, you, you've still been there all that long. Yeah, yeah well, 20 odd years it is now. Yeah. Um, and it's changed out of sight now. Yeah. I mean, uh, for what I had when we started to what it is now, it's it's changed completely, I would say. What's, what's the biggest change, you think, in the, in the role in that time? Well, I think we became a registered charity. Yeah. So we're, we're a charity now. We've got a board of trustees. Uh, we never had any of that before. And we we're, we can dip our toe into so many different areas of the community now, which we couldn't do. We've got more staff. We can work with mental health. You know, We can work with veterans. We can work, in, work with the age, the, the elderly, things like that. So it's not just about playing football now, uh, nine o'clock till five. It's about getting the whole community involved. And that's the way it should be at a club like this, really. Yeah. I've seen d- during that time you've been back, there's, there's been some not so good spells, but there's been some quite good spells. In there. I mean, obviously we've had, we've had trips to Wembley, but in terms of the community, do you feel like this club is a lot closer to the community than when you, you first came back in? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think it's took a while for the club to realise, certainly certain people, it's took a while for them to realise that they're joined at the hip. The community and the club are joined at the hip. And if the club don't get that, they'll be much the poorer for it. We need both together, working the same way, pulling the same way, because it is a community club. Everybody knows everybody in this city. You know, and if we don't do things for the community, then the club will the, the club will be the poorer for it, really. I mean, do you feel that when you sort of, you know, obviously when you go out and you do all the, your sessions in whatever part of the community it is, then when they've won on a Saturday, everyone's buzzing. They want to talk about Calinaid. When they've lost, they probably want to talk about it, but they're not going to be quite as positive. You, you get the feel of that when you go. Out. Yeah, I think people don't realise how important this club is to people. The fan base and people run about the club, and I mean, we're out and about every day, and people speak about the club every day, and. I think it gets lost a little bit how important this club is to people in the fan base and the local community. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, you, you come up to the end of your time now, uh, having spent what, 
38 years on and off at the club? I mean, what are you going to do with your spare time now? You're not going to be quite busy. Well, I'll always be involved in the club somewhere along the line. I mean, I'm going to come back a day a week after the new year just yeah. to support until the end of the season. And really then, Lee, I'm quite relaxed about it all. Um, I'll have a chat with whoever wants to chat and we'll just see where it leads us. But I've got, you know, I've got no worries about what's going to happen at the club. So in terms of when Simo came back in February... How much have you seen a, a positive turn on, not just in terms of obviously what's happened on the pitch, but in terms of the community stuff? Because Simo seems to be someone who really, obviously he's a local lad he's going to, but he really gets how important, not just doing that bit right, but doing your side of things right as well and making sure we're out there and well, representing the club. Well, the best thing I can say about Paul really is, um, I remember after we got beat 3-0 with Swindon, mm-hmm. and I think like everybody else, I yeah. thought we were doomed. Yeah. I thought this was the season we were going to go. However, the directors, I thought, were very brave and made a change straight away. And I remember I was standing at my office window and I seen Paul Simpson walking down the beside the East Stand with yeah. Nigel Clibbins. And I knew then, I knew we'd be fine. Yeah. I knew we'd be okay because I know the way the guy is, how professional he is, how he works. I knew he had a tough job on, but I also knew one way or another he would get us out of trouble. And I think the club gets it now that he's the man to take us forward and if Paul can't do it I don't think anybody can do it <laughs> in this club because he exactly what you said he, he gets what we are he gets what the club's all about the community's all about he's a local boy he knows how much it means and he's the top man for the job for me John thanks for your time and all the best uh, for your very much well earned retirement thank you thanks very much Cheers. There you have it. That's the final of our series of four interviews with uh, different members of the playing and non-playing staff down at Brunton Park. And got to say, what a guy to end on. John Halpin, top, top man. Remember him from when I was working at the club in the media team for a couple of years. He was genuinely one of the nicest players you could possibly want to work with. So helpful. So Such a nice fella. And I think it's fantastic the club have found some sort of role for him to do down at the club still beyond his retirement. And I'm sure he's going to be a familiar face on match days to most. And, you know, he's always full of stories, always full of the cracks. So if you see him about, have a crack with him because he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. And we wish him all the best in his uh, retirement going forward. Uh, in terms of special episodes coming up, we've got a few ideas in, in the pipeline. We've, we've got one where we want to involve you guys in it as well. So I'm not going to tell you too much about that just now. But what we'll do is we'll post some details out on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter soon, basically. We're going to want some of you guys to actually come on the show and and talk about some legendary players. I'm not going to say any more than that at the moment because it's an idea I've had bubbling for a little bit, but uh, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, we've got the next episode coming out tomorrow of the regular podcast. Obviously, it's a preview of this weekend's game against Newport, just just to date this episode a little bit. Um, and yeah, beyond that, there'll be a few more coming out in the near future. We've got a few Tuesday night games coming, so plenty of episodes to get your teeth into. So thanks for listening and up the blues. Yeah.